and welcome to part two in our mini-series on deaths of Playboy models. I'm Gemma. And I'm Emily. In the last podcast, we looked at the deaths of Playboy Bunny Adrian Pollock and Hugh Hefner's executive assistant Bobby Arnstein. In this podcast, we are taking a look into the tragic death of rising star Dorothy Stratton. He was murdered by her ex-husband when only 20 years old, and also there's going to be a trigger warning here for mentions of rape, shootings, and just general gruesomeness. Okay, so what I'm hearing is I should get my therapy up now. Uh, yeah. Well, tell us about Dorothy then. So Dorothy was born on February the 28th, 1960, in Vancouver, Canada. She was the oldest of three children to Dutch immigrant parents, Simon and Nellie Stratton. In school, she was a hard-working straight-A student, and people described how if she put her mind to something, she could achieve it. Something that would serve her well when she became a rising star in the Playboy world. How did she become involved with Playboy? Through her husband, whom she met when she was just 17 years old, working in her local Dairy Queen. So, Paul Snyder was 26 and was working as a nightclub promoter when he set his sights on his future wife and gave her attention that no one else had ever given her before. He complimented Dorothy on the things about which she felt most vulnerable, showering her with expensive gifts, nice dinners, and even a gown to wear when he took her to a senior prom. She described the courtship as being, quote, swept off her feet, but her parents didn't like him and were concerned about the almost 10-year age gap and that he would distract her from school, but he eventually managed to charm them into accepting him. For a while, the relationship was going great. Dorothy was happy, her parents were happy. This is when Paul decided to fess up and tell her that he wasn't just a nightclub promoter. He was also a pimp. While Dorothy was at first horrified, she loved this man and decided to stay with him regardless of his side hustle. And in 1978, when she was 18 years old, Paul persuaded her to pose for a nude photo shoot, which could help launch her career in Los Angeles. Now, 1978 was a big year for Playboy magazine, as they were on the hunt for the Playmate of the 25th anniversary issue, and it hosted the Great Playmate Hunt Contest to scout for this Playmate to be featured in the centrefold of its 25th anniversary issue, which would be the following year. This is what Snyder used to convince Dorothy to be photographed nude by a professional photographer, painting images in her head of a brighter future than the one she might have imagined for herself. On the topic, Dorothy herself said, quote, It took him a little while to talk me into agreeing to taking some test pictures. I'd never taken my clothes off for anyone. I didn't know. It, it took me about two weeks to agree. The photographs were sent to Playboy and they immediately wanted her. Photographer Ken Honey sent the photos to Marilyn Gabrowski, the magazine's former West Coast photo editor, and she said, quote, I wanted her on the next plane. She was a total babe in the woods. I cannot remember another playmate being that. I don't want to say naive, inexperienced, unused to her surroundings and not used to thinking that she was really beautiful. Ultimately, the January 1979 centrefold ended up going to Candy Loving, who was then a senior at the University of Oklahoma. Playboy thought Candy could better handle the spotlight that came with being named the magazine's 25th anniversary playmate. But both Hugh Hefner and those working at Playboy were so thrilled with Dorothy's test photos that he named her Miss August of 1979. Kirsty, what a name. Candy Loving. I don't know if that was her real name. I kind of hope it was. Same. I mean, Dorothy sounds smart and maybe a little naive, especially with her man. 
I mean, a 10-year age gap is quite a lot, especially when she met him when, you know, she was 17. She wasn't really... Worldwise. Worldly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you would expect that he would be... Yeah. And I guess like a 10-year age gap, maybe when you're both older and have experienced the world, is a little bit different to having to wait a year because you weren't legal to take the photographs to start with. Yeah, it definitely... It would be interesting to know whether without his persuasion, she would have ever done that. Yeah. Because there is a difference between encouragement and persuasion. Mm. Well, I mean, it took him two weeks to convince her. Yeah. She clearly wasn't for it to start with. No. Maybe it was one of those things where, like, after she kind of felt a bit empowered by it. Yeah. So, although she didn't, like, make the cover, she made it into the magazine. Um, So what happens to her from there? She was invited to work as a Playboy bunny at the Playboy Club in Los Angeles neighbourhood, Century City. This would mean moving from Canada and in June of 1979, Dorothy and Paul married. But not everyone was happy about it. Marion Gabrowski said that she and Hugh Hefner, amongst others, opposed the marriage. According to Roseanne Caton Walden, an actress and September 1978 Playmate of the Month, Dorothy went through with the marriage because she didn't think she could get out of it. Dorothy was suddenly in the middle of some of Hollywood's most exclusive parties. It was all brand new to her and she was very excited. But she also seemed overwhelmed and scared. So she stayed close to the one person she knew from home, her husband. While working, she found that she was the youngest member there. Most bunnies that were there were between 21 and 24, so she was very young. She was so young that she couldn't serve alcohol, so her job was to greet the guests. All the bunnies were paid a large allowance of $1,000 per week, making them some of the highest paid women in the US at the time. This would have been a lot for a young, and it could be said, slightly naive 18-year-old. Dorothy was quickly becoming very popular. After an appearance on Playboy's roller disco and pyjama party, which aired on ABC in late 1979, she began landing acting gigs, including bit parts in films and TV shows like Fantasy Island and Book Rogers in the 25th century. By the time that she'd married Schneider, Hugh Hefner had connected her with a professional manager and a money manager, which pushed Paul to the sidelines, and soon many red flags became apparent. As I've said before August of 1979, Dorothy got her first centrefold in the magazine and while on the shoot, some of her colleagues started to notice issues in her long-distance relationship. While living at the mansion, she'd called her husband every night. Not that unusual, really, but now she was calling him multiple times in one shoot. Then, after a few months of living apart, Paul Snyder decided that he couldn't be apart from her any longer, so he moved from Canada to LA to be with her and the two bought a house together, even though Dorothy would be living in the mansion more often than not. As Playboy continued to welcome Dorothy into its world, Paul was left out more and more. He was unable to work, as he'd only come to the US on a tourist visa, and this wasn't helping his ego. Paul was eventually caught with another girl, according to former Playboy social secretary Alison Reynolds. She said security kicked him off the property, and that they would only allow him back if he came with Dorothy. I mean, it definitely sounds like his male ego was wounded a bit because suddenly his wife is, like, getting all of the attention and earning all of the money. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's what he wanted when he wanted her to pose for Playboy. 
but the reality of it was that he got pushed to the side because people wanted her to have good management and someone to look after her money properly. You know, she was only 18. They were actually really trying to help her. Yeah. Sounds a bit like he wanted the money and the control more than he wanted Dorothy as a person. Yeah. So it sounds like things are a bit rocky. Did things get better for her? Well, 1980 was going to be a big year for her. She was named Playmate of the Year and she landed the title role in the sci-fi comedy Galaxina. Things were looking great for this rising star, but in the background, Paul was trying to tighten his hold on her. He began calling him himself her manager and used this as a way in which to control his wife, controlling both her money and her real estate. And he even followed her while she was filming with his increasingly controlling behaviour causing her some embarrassment. Dorothy was introduced to filmmaker Peter Bogdanovich, who, fresh out of a relationship and looking for new projects, began spending time at the Playboy Mansion with close friend Hugh Hefner. In this time there, he became smitten with Dorothy and decided to write a role specifically for her in his upcoming film, They All Laughed, which starred Audrey Hepburn, Ben Gazzara and John Ritter. This film was supposed to be Dorothy's big break in the acting world. Filming would take place in New York, and unlike her previous role, she told Paul that only cast and crew could be on set so that he would have to stay at home. It was a lie, but she was growing tired of his controlling ways. While filming in New York, Dorothy began an affair with Bogdanovich, and in April 1980, she flew back to LA for the Playmate of the Year party and back to her husband, who didn't seem to suspect that anything was amiss. After the Playmate of the Year award, Dorothy had planned a tour around Canada before flying back to New York to finish filming. Into that tour time, she'd scheduled a week in which to go and see her family, something that she'd not been able to do between acting and modelling. She set off on the tour, but it wasn't long before she realised that she really didn't want to be with Paul anymore, and she had feelings with Peter Bogdanovich. So she wrote to Paul and asked for some more freedom in their marriage. As you can imagine, he didn't take it all that well, and rather than waiting for Dorothy to come back and discuss the issues, he flew to Canada. But on arriving at the airport, he informed her that the week off that she had, gone. She was now booked for interviews and she felt that she couldn't say no because it would look bad on her. Even worse, the money that she should have got for that week was taken by Paul. Wow, what a douche. Yep. So many red flags. Yeah, and they're getting kind of more and more obvious to see. Yeah, and more dangerous. Yeah. Which makes me really nervous. But I've got to ask, what happens next? When filming in New York wrapped up, Paul asked Dorothy to move in with him in his Bel Air mansion, something that she accepted. In June of 1980, she ended her marriage. Snyder immediately went to the bank and drained every penny from their joint account before she cut him off, and then he hired a PI to follow Dorothy. In doing so, he used all the money he had effectively stolen and turned to selling items in the house. Dorothy's items, including her car, which was a Jaguar, and her Playmate of the Year award. Now, with all the red flags you'd seen, you would think that Dorothy would just cut her losses and leave Snyder to it. But she did go back to the house. She thought that Snyder would be out and that she could collect her belongings, but unfortunately he was home. And when he saw her, he thought that she'd come back to him and even got on his, on his knees to beg her not to leave him. 
Dorothy was pretty calm about the whole thing and suggested that they would have a week apart and on August the 14th, she'll come back and talk about the divorce properly. Unknown to Dorothy, it was around that time that Snyder tried to get a gun. According to former LA homicide detective Richard DeAnder, he borrowed a 38 revolver from a friend and waited outside um, Bogdanovich's house, hoping to kill him, but he never came out of the house. And soon after, Snyder's friend asked for the gun back. Did she go back to see them? She did. On August 14th, 1980, she went over to the house to try and negotiate a settlement with her ex-husband as part of their divorce. Those close to her are said to have expressed their concern with her going to see him alone, but she thought she owed him for her rising star and didn't want to leave him with nothing. She took $1,100 as a down payment for a new home and arrived at the house in midday, but she didn't leave the house alive. Snyder's two housemates, um, Patty Lorman, who'd been a teenage grocery store clerk who Snyder was trying to turn into his next Playboy model and had moved into the home, and Stephen Kushner, both had avoided the house on the 14th, knowing that Snyder and Dorothy would need time to work out their divorce. Kushner said that he saw Dorothy's car, a Mercury Cougar, and Snyder's Mercedes with the vanity license plate Star 80, which is where Bob Foss later sourced the title for his Dorothy Stratton biopic. They assumed all had gone well with the chat, and Kushner and Lorman said that they were watching TV upstairs, giving the couple some privacy. And until later that evening, the PI, who had over time become friends with Snyder, called the house to check that everything was okay, because he hadn't spoken to him that day and was starting to grow a bit concerned. As the roommate and the PI talked, they brought up that Snyder had confided that he was having suicidal thoughts. Not only this, but Snyder had bought a 12-gauge shotgun from the classified ads the previous evening, August the 13th, something that should have been difficult as he was not an American citizen. More worryingly, he'd been talking about taking up hunting and talking about playboy bunnies that had died horrible deaths. No one wanted to check on the couple, even after this conversation, and finally, after a few hours of silence, it was past 11pm. Krishna and Norman said they decided to knock on Snyder's bedroom door, but there was no answer, and Krishna said that he opened the door. Now, I'm going to put another warning here, because the details are not good. Inside the room, they found Snyder and Dorothy's naked bodies. Both were dead. Police later determined that Snyder had raped Dorothy before shooting her in the face with a 12-gauge shotgun and then raped her again before turning the gun on himself. The autopsy estimated her time of death at 1pm, just an hour after arriving at the home. She was just 20 years old. Within hours, Hugh Hefner was informed of her death and then he had to tell Bogdanovich the news, who was said to be so heartbroken he had to be sedated. They found out about her death too late to pull the images of Dorothy in the next issue of Playboy, which some people thought was crude considering her death and the nature of the image were, of course, nude. Perhaps people wouldn't have minded if she'd have been clothed. Dorothy was buried in the same LA cemetery as Marilyn Monroe and Paul Bogdanovich chose the inscription on her tombstone. A quote from Ernest Hemingway's novel, A Farewell to Arms, and it said, if people bring so much courage to this world, the world has to kill them to break them. So, of course, it kills them. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure that it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. I don't even... It's, it's the raping her 
afterwards. But there was no remorse. I mean, none of it is good. But there was clearly no remorse there. No. And it was clearly premeditated. Three years after meeting her, he killed her. She was 20. There's that song, you know, snippet of lyric that's really popular on TikTok at the minute. And it's like, um, I'm not afraid of God. I am afraid of man. But there were so many red flags talking about being suicidal, trying to borrow guns, talking about deaths of Playboy bunnies, you know. Yeah, and nobody stopped him. And no one stopped him. And I, I, he wasn't even an American citizen, and he had a gun. It's just... The thing is, this sounds like I'm victim, but I'm not. It was never going to end any other way. It, it was always going to end in violence. Yeah. But she seemed like the kind of person that just wanted to see the best in people. And and I suppose, like, we don't obviously know, but how much did he say you're only where you are because of me? So she felt she owed him. Yeah. Because it's, it, you know. And also, if you were having to deal with someone like that, you would meet up with them and give them whatever settlement they wanted just to get them out of your life. You would. Yeah, I guess the older head on my shoulders is like, but I would do it somewhere public. Yeah. But it just sounds like she cared. So what what happened following her death? Well, after her death, um, Bogdanovich's life sort of fell apart. Their film came out not long after her death, but it didn't go well. And Bogdanovich ended up making himself bankrupt, intending to make the film a hit for Dorothy. Then, four years after Dorothy's death, he published a book called The Killing of the Unicorn, in which he blamed Hugh Hefner and the culture of Playboy for contributing to Dorothy's death. He also accused Hugh Hefner of making unwanted advances on Dorothy. He said he raped her, but the editors made him change it to seduce at the Playboy Mansion in 1978, saying that the only reason that Dorothy had married Snyder was to prevent Hefner from making any advances on her in the mansion. The claims caused Hefner to open up a legal case against his once close friend. And not only that, he also put out rumours that Bogdanovich was grooming Dorothy's 13-year-old sister offering her plastic surgery to look more like her sister. Bogdanovich went on to take care of Dorothy Stratton's family for years after she died, including her younger sister, Louise Stratton. He said, if I'd married Dorothy, this would be my family, so I wasn't going to stop from being their family because she was dead. Obviously, Paul Bogdanovich denied any claims that he was grooming Dorothy's sister, but he and Louise Stratton's relationship later developed into a romance and the two married eight years after Dorothy's murder, when Louise herself was 20. They divorced in 2001, but continued to work together on film projects, including a 2014 film, She's Funny That Way. I mean, I'm not going to lie, that's a bit icky. Yeah, but obviously all of the the claims in the book and the claims by Hefner against Bogdanovich is all kind of hearsay. Mudslinging. Yeah, from each other. So we don't know if any of it is actually true. Yeah, none of it's good. No, and it's all extremely sad. Yeah, she's just she had her whole life, and what sounds like she could have had a really successful career. Yeah, ahead of her, and it was snatched away because one man was petty, jealous, and angry. Yeah, the thing is, I'm sure people will be like, "Oh, maybe she hadn't been in Playboy, you know, it wouldn't have." But a man like that was. Never going to make a good husband. No. He was looking for someone to take advantage of. Like you said at the beginning, she didn't really get much attention from men. So he he found her weakness and exploited it for his 
gain yeah financially and and in every other way yeah i'm gonna go scream into the void now i do think it's important to point out here that you know dorothy's death was caused by her ex-husband not playboy i mean you know red flags from the get-go about their relationship you know but the saddest part of this story for me is that she built up the courage to leave the relationship and she was truly happy only to have that snatched away from her in the end. And she could have been saved so many times. Yeah. If things had been done slightly different. It's like going to the house would have been okay if the housemates had been there. But it's not their fault that they were like, do you know what, we should probably give them some space. So they yeah, you, you would. Blazing Row, like where they don't have witnesses to a Blazing Row because no one wants that. And then they assumed that things were okay because both cars were there and they couldn't hear shouting. So they just kind of left it. They thought it was okay. Maybe they got back together. You didn't want to. But also if they had been there, what's to say the body count wouldn't have been higher. If he was at that point, rationality goes out of the window. 100%. In the next podcast and the last one in this kind of mini series, we look at the death of another well-known Playboy model and that is Jasmine Fiore. As always, take care of yourselves and each other.